Amen. Can feel the presence of God in this place tonight. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. Appreciate Pastor giving me this opportunity to preach tonight. It's always a, a privilege and an honor to preach God's word. One of the greatest privileges there is. Praise God. Luke 10, verses 1 through 12, our main text tonight. Amen. And so I was reading a little bit. I like to read a lot about war and World War II and those kinds of things. So I was reading a little bit about um, after World War II ended, um, General Douglas MacArthur, he, he was the, some of you might know who are his history buffs, he was the general of the Pacific Command of the uh, Allied Forces. And so after the United States had dropped the atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, it left kind of a void in that nation. And so he, he began to recognize this. He said, look, you know, it, this, these people are basically, there's a spiritual vacuum. These people are, they're hurting. These people are empty inside. At that time, the nation of Japan, there was no real religion per se. They didn't have a national religion at that time. And so what General MacArthur did was he sent a letter to some of the clergy and some of the pastors back in the U.S. I think, I believe Billy Graham was actually a part of that delegation he met with them and he said look there's a spiritual vacuum in Japan we need to send 10,000 missionaries if we can send 10,000 missionaries to this country we can transform this country now's the opportune time and so he began to send letters out to not only America but they also began to send letters out throughout the rest of the world to other nations that were also a part of the allied forces and they tried to rally 10,000 missionaries to go into Japan during this time of spiritual vacuum. So as the story goes, as, they, as this call went out for a need, they could only get one to 2,000 people to volunteer to go in as missionaries. They could only get, let's just say 2,000. At the time, Japan, this is a nation of 83 million people, so 2,000 people are a very, very small amount of people but all they could get was 2,000 people to go. God forbid that we ever come to a place where there's a need in the harvest field, there's a need in the mission field, but we can't get people to go. God forbid that. Amen. It was a missed opportunity. And a lot of Christian scholars say that Japan could have been a totally different nation had they were able to send these missionaries into Japan. It could have been a totally different nation, not only Japan, but all of Asia, it could be, we could be looking at a different country as well as Asia, China, all those parts of the world could have been transformed had people taken advantage of that opportunity. You see, it was a missed opportunity. It was a missed opportunity. You see, my goal tonight is not to preach anything that we haven't heard. Praise God. We, we are a church full of laborers. Can you say amen? We, we have people who have been laboring for years. You've been laboring for decades. You've been serving God for decades. Missionaries, we're a fellowship full of laborers. But my goal tonight is just to simply encourage us, just to inspire us to continue to respond the way that God would have us respond. I just want to preach a message tonight called Laborers in the Harvest. Laborers in the Harvest from Luke 10, verses 1 through 12. And the Bible says... After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place 
where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves, carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one among the road. But wherever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as they are set before you. And heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, the very dust of your city shall, which clings to us, will we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you, but I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much, God. For this time, God, we pray and ask you, God, that we would be a people who would respond to you, God, that we would be your laborers, God, that you could call on us, God, to do whatever you called us to do, God, to go wherever you called us to go, God, that we would be a people that would respond to you, God, that would answer your call, God, we would be a people that would surrender our will to you, we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Laborers in the harvest. First, I want to look at the great need for laborers. And there's, in our main text, Jesus addressed this need in verse 2. See, he's telling us the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. You see, the harvest field is the greatest need in all the world. You know, the harvest is referring to a time of reaping or gathering of men and women into the kingdom of God. The world in this day and age, see, when, when this scripture was written during this day and age, it was an agricultural society. People lived on the land. People used the harvest season as a time to tell what time of year it was. It was a time when people reaped the fruit of their crops that they had been planting all year. The laborer is a workman who toils, who works for hire. You see, a great need, people need to, is, people need to be reached. Amen. Somebody has to be able to reach people. But how great is this need? You know, see, Jesus was telling us here in our scripture, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. It's the laborers. There's plenty to harvest. There's plenty to harvest. There's tons of work that needs to be done, but where are the laborers? Let me read to you some statistics right now. In just the 20th century alone, the world's population has gone from 1.65 billion people to 6 billion. So from 1900 to 2000, the world's population has increased six times in a hundred years time frame, six times. Sometime, I believe, at the start of this year, 2023, the world's population exceeded 8 billion people. So right now, currently, there are above 8 billion people in the world. The population of the world is growing at a rate of 0.84% every year, which basically means there's 67 million people being added to the world's population every year. So every single year, the world's population is growing by 67 million. 
And think about this, the need is so large and so great. Here we are, the world today at 8 billion people, the most people that have ever lived in human history are alive today. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ saw the need so great. I believe it said that the world's population wasn't even 300 million people. That, that's smaller than the United States. During the time of Jesus' day, and we've seen exponential growth, and here we are today, the need is that much greater. For the sake of argument, the there's approximately, it said that 2.1 billion people proclaim themselves as, themselves as Christians today. So that means out of a total of 8 billion people, let's just say for the sake of argument, all 2 billion are Christians. That would leave 6 billion people who are not Christians. 6 billion who don't know Jesus. 6 billion who possibly have never heard the gospel. Six billion people who, without Jesus, they won't make heaven their home. You see, the great need is for laborers in the harvest. Let's read verse 2 again. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You see, as we read the scripture, Jesus is addressing the great need of reaching souls with the gospel. Reaching the lost who need to be saved. As we read in verse 1, Jesus sent them out two by two into the surrounding city to proclaim the gospel. Because Jesus saw a need. He saw people who were lost. He recognized a need and he sent them out to meet that need. But see, the need is so great, there's much work to be done. It's not only being sent, but there's work to be done here. There's work to be done in the house of God. You see, sending is just as important as going. There's people who sin, as we've heard it before. There's people that go, but there wouldn't be anybody to go if there were nobody to send. You see, we need those who are willing to go and who are willing to stay back and sin. You see, the needs are so great in our hour today. And even here in the local church, there's needs, there's outreach, there's follow-up, clean-up, 180 concert. Worship, media team, AV team, sound, ushering, nursery, children's church. I can go on and on and on and on and on. But these are just needs here in the local church. And I'm sure there's many, many more. But these are just a few examples of needs in the kingdom of God. You see, the need is so great, there must be a sense of urgency in the harvest. Because none of us know how long we have to accomplish the task. None of us know how much time we have left. We all know we're living in the last days. We see what's happening in the world. We see what's coming down the pipe. And none of us know how much time we have. You see, Jesus understood the urgency. In John 9, 4, Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. You see, there's a time coming when we'll no longer be able to work. There's a time coming where the work will cease. There's a time coming where, th where time is up. There's a time coming where the door shuts and time will be up. And Jesus understood this. And remember, Jesus was relating, he was referring to agricultural society in that day. So think about it. This was before electricity. 
This was before modern technology. When people had to work, they had to rise early in the morning when the sun rose, and then they had to get out in the fields and work because the only time they could work was when the sun was up. When the sun went down, all work ceased because there was no electricity. There was no way you could see at night. And see, Jesus here, he's referring to this, but he's referring to the work of God. And we see here that there's a season, there's a period of time that we have to do God's work, but it will not last forever. It won't last forever. We don't have forever to do God's work. There has to be a sense of urgency. You see, just like we talked about in the opening illustration about Japan, that opportunity only lasted for a short period of time. It won't last forever. The need is so great, yet there's a shortage of laborers, yet the need is so great. I want you to go ahead and play that uh, news clip real quick. But just to give you an idea of how short... Our harvest begins at sunrise. We have other ranches that uh, we, we've had for, oh, 90 years. But this year, their 1,000 acres of bok choy, broccoli, and kale may not all make it to market. Over the last couple of years, we haven't been able to harvest between 15 and 20% of our crops. At the beginning of each day, Tommy Ketta worries if he'll get enough workers to handpick the lush fields. This year, it really hit hard. On a daily basis, in a harvest crew of 16 people, I may get all 16, I may get nine, you never know how many people are going to show up to work. It's a serious labor shortage. Nine in ten farm workers in California are foreign-born, many from Mexico. According to the Pew Research Center, more Mexican immigrants have been leaving the U.S. than are arriving. The labor shortage is so severe that entire fields of vegetables like these have gone unharvested. In fact, here in Central California, in two counties, more than $13 million has been lost. Stop it right there. Here it is, they can't even find people to pick. Lush fields, fields full of fruit, harvest fruit. I mean, there's, there's cabbage, there's kale. She said $13 million lost because they can't find laborers. They can't find people to pick the fruit. And all of it's going to waste. Think about that for a moment. There's fruit out in the world. Amen. There's fruit in the nations of the earth. There's fruit out there in the world that God wants us to pick. He wants us to go out and get. But the question is, can he find laborers? Can he find laborers that will go out and get it? God forbid we ever come to a place where God can no longer call us to do and to go and do what he says. Next, I want to look at responding to the need. Because we see how great the need is. Just saw the clip that I'm sure you've heard about these labor shortages that have been going on for, since COVID. It's, it's just been hard to find workers in so many different arenas and so many different professions can't seem to find laborers. And we see there's a great need, but what are we going to do to respond to that need? What are we going to do to respond? We say yes, that's how we respond. We say yes, regardless of how large or impossible the task may seem. We say yes, we obey God, and then we leave the results up to God. We see a need, we see something that needs to be done, we meet that need. 
God gives us a burden. We step up. We step out. Pastor laid out the need this morning for a building needing to be paid off. That's a need. We step up to the plate. We meet those needs, and then we see God get involved. You see, if we're going to do something for God, then the task will always be greater than us. It'll always be beyond our own ability to accomplish. It's always going to be bigger than us. Think about it. The world population, 8 billion people. 8 billion. It seems impossible, right? But no, God said he'll make it possible. You see, Jesus did not guarantee that it'll be easy to these disciples when he was sending them out. Luke 10, 3 through 6, he says, Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag nor knapsack nor sandals. And great and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. So basically, Jesus is saying, you're going out as lambs amongst wolves. He's saying, look, you're going to see some opposition. When you go out, when you decide to step out in faith, you're going to see opposition. It's going to come. There's things that are going to come against you and I when we decide to meet needs of the kingdom of God. But Jesus still told them to go out. He still sent them out regardless, knowing that there would be opposition. Because the need is that much greater. You see, the need is that much greater. When he begin to respond to what God is, when we begin to respond to what God's doing, there may be opposition. There may be things that start to try to come against it, but we've got to remember that the need is that much greater. There's people that need to be reached. There's needs that need to be met. You see, it may not always be comfortable stepping out, meeting needs in the kingdom, but guess what? God's trying to get us out of our comfort zone. A lot of times God wants to shake things up, even in our, our church this past year with the things that have happened. God's getting us out of our comfort zone. God's taking us somewhere. But a lot of times he'll shake things up, and that's what God's doing. Luke 9, 23 through 24 says, then he said unto them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You see, this is what it means to crucify the flesh. This is what it means to step out. Even though it's not comfortable at times, even though we're, there's levels of uncertainty, we don't understand all the dynamics we don't understand how things are going to work out. God still is requiring us to step out and meet those needs. He's trying to get us out of our comfort zone. <coughs> our response to the need is critical. You see, how we respond to the needs are critical because people, cities, nations, destinies are hanging in the balance, church. There's destinies that are hanging in the balance based on the decisions you and I are making today. Nations, entire nations are hanging in the balance right now. When we respond to the need of God, God's able to get involved and move on our behalf. <clears throat> but see, the Bible's full of examples of people who responded to the need, and once they did, God got involved. And let's look at some of those examples from the Bible. There's the boy with the two fish and five loaves of bread in John 6, 
verses 9 through 11. There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place. <coughs> so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. All this boy did was offer what he had, two fish, five loaves of bread. He didn't have much to offer. All he did was meet a need. He saw a need, he met it. And here it is, we read the story, 5,000 people fed. God's able to do a miracle. Another example from the Old Testament, Rahab. She heard about what God was doing in the land with the Israelites. And when the two spies arrive in Jericho, she allows them to stay at her house. In exchange, she and all her family were spared. The Bible says in Joshua 2, one, verses 1 through 4, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. So Rahab, she saw that there was a need, she recognized that she responded to the need. Even our Lord Jesus Christ himself. John 13, 5, he washes the disciples' feet. He was, he's responding to the need. The Bible says after that he poured out water unto a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. You see, even Jesus saw a need. God in the flesh saw a need. He responded to the need. You know, we can point all throughout the Bible and see people who, who responded to the need and recognized the need. But what's important to realize is that once they responded to the need, destiny was released. Destiny was released when people respond. And next I want to look at destiny fulfilled. Because, see, when we respond to needs in the kingdom of God, we fulfill our destiny. Just think for a moment, how many cities, how many nations that have been impacted by the gospel because somebody responded to the call. All because somebody responded to a need. All because somebody had a burden. God burdened them. God placed a burden on their heart. Now there's people, destinies, nations reached for the gospel. I can't help but think of Africa, Sierra Leone, Pastor Alvin Smith, going there, I believe, in 89. Hundreds of churches today because of that. Hundreds of churches a whole nation, not even just a nation, but multiple nations in Africa now had the gospel because one man decided to lay down his life. Amen. Our missionaries, Equatorial Brazil, Equatorial Guinea, Brazil, we have missionaries laying down their lives because they saw a need. They answered the call of God. You see, not only is our destiny linked to our response when we make a decision to meet the need, but the destinies of other people are linked to the decisions we make. 
Other people's destinies hang in the balance. Think about the weight of that for just a moment. It's a sober thought to think that other people's destinies are going to hang in the balance based on the decisions you and I make, based on the choices you and I make, based on the response that you and I are going to have to the harvest. Other people's destinies hang in the balance. Think back on our opening story about Japan just for a moment. What's so sobering about Japan is that all of the destinies, now Japan I believe is like the, I believe it's, I want to say it's in the top 10 most populated countries in the world. But think about all the destinies that did not come to pass. All the people that could have been reached. Japan's population is, I believe it was 83 million people during the time of World War II. Today it's over 165 million. And now it's, it's essentially, a, they're a very technologically driven society. There's, it's very hard to get the gospel established in Japan just because the, the people are so advanced. And, and think about the opportunity they had after World War II, but it wasn't taken advantage of. All the destinies that were lost. You see, people respond to needs and enter into destiny for themselves and for others. A couple of examples from the Bible. There's several people in the Bible. Rebecca is one person, Genesis 24, 12 through 15. Then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day to show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of this city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that young woman to whom I say, please, down, please let down your pitcher. That I may drink, and she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant, Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking that, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Here it is, Rebekah. She's just meeting a need. She sees that he needs something to drink. The camels need something to drink. She's simply meeting a need. She's serving where she's at. And here she causes her to enter into destiny. We know the story. She ends up going back with uh, Abraham's servant. Ends up marrying Isaac, entering into the destiny. But simply serving and meeting a need is what triggered her destiny. <coughs> Looking at Ruth. Pastor preached on Ruth this morning. Ruth 2, verses 1 through 3. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him, in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was, the, who was of the family of Elimelech. And we know the story. Here it is, Ruth. She's gleaning heads of grain in the field, meeting a need. And she ends up meeting Boaz. We know the story. She enters into destiny. And there's so many other people by serving, by meeting needs, so many people we can point to, because they served, they entered into destiny. You see, this is the pattern all throughout Scripture is when people meet needs in God's kingdom, 
and respond to the needs, they fulfill destiny. You see, destiny is fulfilled when we respond. Not just our destiny, but the destinies of other people as well. There's so many people that need to be reached. As we talked about earlier, the world's population being 8 billion people. More people alive today than there ever been. More nations today that need to be reached than ever. Even in Jesus' day, he saw the need. But how many of you know, I would say today, that need is even greater. That need is even greater today because there's way more people alive today than there were back then. Amen. We must be a people willing to respond to the need. So the question tonight is, what will we do? Where do we stand in this tonight? What will we do, church? Will we rise up to the occasion? Will we step in? Will we begin to labor? Will we begin to obey God in these areas? Whatever God's challenging you to do, will you step out and do it? Maybe it's not in your comfort zone. Maybe it's something outside of your comfort zone. Maybe it's something that you're not used to doing. See, God's trying to take us somewhere. God's trying to take us somewhere. God's trying to do big things, but he needs our cooperation. We have to be willing. Amen. As we close, how many people have heard of um, Adoniram Judson? You've heard of him. Show of hands, a few of you, a few people heard of him. Adoniram Judson. Well, this man has an incredible story. He spent almost 40 years in Burma, which is now the nation of Myanmar. During his ministry, he helped lead hundreds of Burmese people to Jesus Christ by translating the Bible and other Christian writings from English into the native language of Burmese. And so a little bit about his life. In February 1812, he married his wife, Nancy, and then literally two weeks later, he was ordained in the ministry, commissioned as a missionary, and set sail to be a, left America to be a missionary. First he went to India, and then afterwards he had a burden for the nation of Burma. But what's so interesting about this man's life is he, he was among one of the first groups of missionaries that actually left the U.S. in the 1800s to be missionaries full time. And it says that by the end of his life, Adoniram had translated the Bible into Burmese, had edited several dictionaries, several study tools for Burmese Christians, and authored and translated numerous tracts on a variety of theological and devotional topics. Historians agree that Adonai's pioneering translation work remains one of his most lasting legacies. And so here it is, this man, he translated these things. Before he came into that nation, this nation had no, they had no knowledge of the Bible. They had not had a translation of the Bible brought in. But he came into this nation, he brought the gospel, translated the Bible. And it didn't come easy for him. During the process of his 40 years of being a missionary to this nation, he, he lost his wife, Nancy. They lost three of their kids. He went through some extreme hardships. He even went into a time of solitary occlusion because he, he was, had gone through so much, he just isolated himself for a few years on the island. He went through so much 
Yet this man's legacy is that he introduced this, this nation to the gospel. And a lot of the Christian scholars today say that you know, Bur Burma is now, you know, for the most part, a Christian nation because of Adoniram Judson. You see, when the Judsons immediately began learning Burmese, the language, the culture, they believed it was necessary for effective gospel proclamation. You see, the Bible translations became a key element of the Judsons' missions. With work being done in both Burmese and another native language, Pali, by the end of his life, Adoniram had translated the Bible into Burmese, edited several dictionaries, several lexical tools for Burmese Christians, and authored translated numerous tracts on various theological and devotional topics. And historians agree that he had one of the most lasting impacts of, of, of missionaries that we've seen in recent history. All because a man was willing to meet a need. A man had a burden and was willing to go into a nation, a nation he didn't know much about. He had to learn, him and his wife had to learn the language. They didn't even know the language going in. He endured all these hardships, went through the tragedy, lost his wife Nancy. They lost three kids from sickness while they were over there. Went through all of these hardships, but yet he was still willing to answer the call. He was still willing to say yes. He was still willing to go despite all the hardships. Even as he was going through the hardships, he stayed. That's what blows me away. He stayed in that country because he saw something. And here it is, this nation today, they have Bibles you know, pretty much sold in every store. There's churches in that because this man was willing to go and introduce the gospel. He said yes. How many of us, church, were willing to say yes? How many of us are willing to say, you know what, we'll say yes? We'll be willing to stand in the gap and obey God and say yes to his will for our lives. Just like this man did, he was willing, you know what, regardless of how hard it seemed, regardless of the trials and tribulations, he said the calling of God was that much greater. He said that the harvest was that much greater. You see, he understood that the harvest truly was plentiful, but the laborers are few. He understood something. He understood that I, I, I got to do this because there's not many laborers. He understood this. But how many of us, church, will take this to heart? How many of us are willing to say, you know what, I understand there are, there, there, the harvest is plentiful. Today, the harvest, as we looked at earlier, it's greater than it's ever been. But how many of us are willing to take that on? And say, you know what, I'm willing to obey and do what God's called me to do. I'm willing to say yes. Wherever you are, doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to another nation, another city. There's needs here locally in the church. Wherever you are, are you willing to say yes? Are you willing to step out and obey God, even when it doesn't seem popular? Even when there's opposition, even when it doesn't seem like it's the most popular thing, are you willing to say yes? Are you willing to step out and see what God will do? Praise God. I like every head bowed, every eye closed tonight. Are we willing to be laborers in the harvest? Amen. The harvest is, is plentiful, as we read earlier. But the laborers are few.
Amen. The great need in our generation and in our world is for salvation. Salvation is the greatest need of the hour, church. And that's what we can't lose sight of. Is that there's people who need Jesus. And maybe that's you tonight in this place. Maybe you're in this place tonight, you come to church, you said, you know what? I don't have a relationship with Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, he loves you. He died, gave his life so that you and I could have eternal life. And you're saying, you know what? I want a relationship with God. Maybe you've never had a relationship with Jesus before. And you're saying, you know what? I want to have that tonight. Slip your hand up, put it right back down all over this place. Just slip your hand up, put it right back down. Maybe you're in this place, you, God sees that hand. God sees those two hands in the back. Anybody want to join these honest hearts? You don't know Jesus. You see, the need is great. God's tugging on hearts tonight in this place. God's dealing with hearts. You want to join these honest hearts? Signify that with an uplifted hand. Maybe you're backslidden in this place. The Bible says that God is married to the backslider. The Bible says that regardless of what you've done, it doesn't matter. God will restore you. He will bring you back to the place of restoration. He said, you know what? I want to turn my heart back right. I want to get things right with God. God, you can pick up right where you left off. Maybe that's you tonight in this place. Say, you know what? I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to rededicate. Slip your hand up. Anyone else? You lifted, your, you lifted your hands in the back. Would you look up at me real quick? Brother in the back, do you really mean that? We're gonna, I'd like for you to come and pray. We'll have somebody come pray with you. God bless you. I think, sister, raise your hand. We'll have somebody come pray with you, sister. Anybody else want to join these honest hearts before God? God's stuck in that hearts tonight. Amen. God has a plan. Amen. Speaking to Christians, then God's called us all to be laborers. God's called us all to labor in the harvest. And the harvest is so great, it's, 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 it's greater than what we can imagine. But the good news is that God will equip his church. God's equipped us already right now. God has positioned us as a church to go into all the world. But we have to be willing to respond. We need people who will go. We also need people who will send. And that's the great need of the hour. Change the order of the service. These altars are open. You want to come? You want to spend time with God? Talk to God tonight. Let God deal with you. Let God stir your heart. Let God rekindle that flame in your heart tonight.